Welcome back to our series, The Questions Following Jesus in our post-Christian culture. Last week, Kevin, who you just heard again, answered the question, can't we just be, can't we just be good without God? In a nutshell, um, he said the problem was, he said that the problem was trying to be good without God is who gets to decide what is good? Who gets to decide what, what is bad? Your good might be my bad and your bad might be my good. If left up to us, it's a, it's a sliding scale. It's a moving target. If you haven't listened or watched that talk, make sure you go online and, and check it out. It's, it's phenomenal. It's really, really good. Well, this morning, let me start with a true story. On February 23rd, 2019, a Nigerian Christian named Ulawali Ilasami stood outside a train station in London preaching to people as they walked by. And two British police officers came up to him and they gave him a choice. Stop preaching or get arrested. To which Mr. Olawali said, I will not go away. I need to tell people the truth because Jesus is the only way, he's the only truth, and he's the only life. Nobody wants to listen to that, said the officers. They want you to go away. Just go away. To which Mr. Ilasami replied, you don't want to hear this? You don't want to listen to this? You will listen when you're dead. <laughs> you will listen when you're dead. And he was arrested. In Western countries like Britain and America, most people think it's okay, at least for now. It's okay if you're a Christian so long as you leave other people alone. I can say that Jesus is, is true for me, but if like Mr. Ilasami, I say that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life for everyone everywhere, regardless of their culture, race, or current religious beliefs, well, that's, that's seen as offensive. So here's our, our question for this morning. Can Jesus be true for me? For me, but not necessarily for you. I went to and graduated from uh, many years ago from a Christian university in Virginia. Um, but halfway through, it was private. Halfway through, I ran out of money. Um, and so I, I, I went home. And I lived at home for free, thank you parents, uh, for one semester. And I went to a local junior college, and in California the taxes are so high, that was basically free too. The taxes paid for the college, I just had to pay my books for one semester. And while I, I was there, I, I took English Lit, I took philosophy, I, I took biology, and I, I made friends with a guy. Uh, who was not a Christian. And we talked about Christianity and politics and all sorts of stuff. Great, great discussions. But I'll never forget one of our discussions was about the exclusivity of Jesus and of Christianity. And as I was talking, he, he very gently, this was back before we canceled people, we actually had discussions. It's a beautiful thing, right? He very gently interrupted me and he said this, and it's on the screen behind me. He said, you know, Lee, I really believe that whatever religion you follow or whatever your belief system is, that in the end, we're all gonna go to a better place together. Basically, he was saying this, Lee, um, Jesus can be true for you and not for me, and my belief system can be true for me and not for you, 
But it doesn't matter because um, we're all going up. I'll never forget this. First time I heard this. We're all going up the same mountain. But we're just taking different paths. Ultimately, we'll all be together at the top. Three problems with my unbelieving friend's worldview. First problem. It's not respectful to say that all religions are basically the same. They can sound so good. It's actually disrespectful. Here's why. Um, None of them believe entirely the same thing. So so my friend was saying that all religions are the same and equally true and and valid no matter what, what, what you believe. But if we follow the major world religions and belief systems, we know that that is simply not true. Um, get this. They can all be equally wrong, but they can't all be equally true. They can all be equally wrong, but they, they can't all be true. And here's why. Let me use an illustration. Nathan's used it before in Global. It's called the thumb illustration. It covers most of the major world religions just an acronym to help us remember, right? And it goes, goes like this. The T stands for, for tribal. Tribal um, peoples are those peoples who adhere to animistic beliefs. That is, they believe that plants and animals and objects all have spirits, and such spirits are often viewed as gods and rule over parts of the creation. Often they have traditions and, and practices that involve appeasing certain spirits. They believe that they, they can get these spirits to do, do good or do harm. H stands for Hindu. Um, Hindus believe that there are thousands of of gods, thousands upon thousands of gods. The the source content for their knowledge about Hinduism comes from books called the the Vedas or the, I'm going to say this wrong, Upanishads, and they believe in reincarnation and karma. You're like, wait a second, The, the U is different than the T, or the H, pardon me, is different than the T. Now for the U stands for the unreligious. Um, this is a large category comp, um, encompassing peoples whose dominant belief system is ag, uh, they're agnostics. They're like, yeah, it could be a God, most likely not. They're kind of eh, ambivalent to spiritual things, as well as atheists who affirm there is no God. Not ambivalent at all. There's just no God. Again, you're like, well, the U is different than the T and the, what? the, the H. M is for Muslim. Muslims believe in one God and his prophet Muhammad. The Quran is their primary source for faith and practice, uh, but they have other books that inform their faith like the Hadith. B is for for Buddhist, founded almost 2,500 years ago by a guy uh, who had the name Buddha. Buddhism teaches that um, confusion, the lack of inner peace and stress are caused by negative states of mind. Thus, meditation and positive thinking, um, they bring the human mind into a state of peace, joy, and happiness. You're like, so far, so good. Um, God is not viewed as a personality. Rather, they believe God is impersonal and present within every single living creature. In other words, let me simplify. We're all gods. And you're like, no, you're like, what's, uh, this is crazy. What's going on? The one thing they all have in common is they have nothing in common, Right? Professor uh, Stephen Prothero, who is not a Christian, super smart guy, he wrote a book called um, God is Not One. Super smart guy, not a believer. He said this, and I quote, what the world's religions share is, is not so much a finish line 
as a starting point. And where they begin is with this simple observation, something's wrong in the world. Agree. They part company, however, when it comes to stating just what has gone wrong. And they diverge sharply when they move from diagnosing the human problem to prescribing, how do you solve it? If practitioners of the world's religions are all mountain climbers, then they're on very different mountains, climbing very different peaks and using very different tools and techniques in their ascents. To say that all religions and belief systems are true and equally valid, no, no matter the differences, actually dishonors people and the cultures that they come from. Second problem with my unbelieving friend's worldview, he had no, he had no place or explanation for people who, who change their religious beliefs, like midstream, like my friend um, Aaron Libman. Aaron and his wife, Kelsey, are members at New Heights Church. They, they work for CMM, soon to be called, make sure I get this right, VIA. VIA, shameless plug for VIA, which is amazing. And they help churches and students to realize their role um, in reaching the unreached with the gospel. They are an amazing couple. They were in our discovery um, class. We just love them to death. We love to hang out with them. Um, I would encourage you to do the same thing. Aaron, will you come on, come on up? Now, you may have noticed, Aaron is wearing a vest. I'm wearing a vest, okay? Just a couple Jews wearing vests. A couple Jews wearing vests. You're like, is it mandatory that Jews, when teaching on stage, wear vests? Yes, it's in the Torah. It's in the Torah. Yes. Look it up. Okay. Um, Aaron grew up Jewish, like really Jewish. But he started following Jesus after college. Um, working for Price Waterhouse Coopers as a tax consultant, and that's a fancy term for accountant. Um, I wanted to ask Aaron a few questions about his Judaism and his conversion. So let me start with this one. Aaron, you actually grew up in a, in a real practicing Jewish home. Tell us about it. Yeah, so from when I was a child, all through adolescence, and then through even to college, I grew up basically in a Jewish milieu, uh, and I mean, my name's Aaron, we're from the tribe of Levi, so it sets a really firm foundation. Uh, was going to synagogue two or three times a week, uh, especially when I was preparing for my bar mitzvah, that was three times a week learning Hebrew, um, gonna get to, to read from the Torah for the first time. I have my bar mitzvah, which is an extremely important event um, where I now take the ownership of my Jewish faith as I move forward um, in the Jewish traditions. And So I've asked Aaron to sing his bar mitzvah yes, for us this morning. Yes. You don't want, you really don't want that. Okay, another uh, time. Another time, Okay, maybe. Um, and, and so that's where I got to read from the, the Torah for the first time. I got my prayer shawl, my talis. Um, I went to Jewish camp growing up um, every summer for nine years. It's a month long. Um, I, was, I played whoa, soccer. Whoa, whoa. A, a month long? Yes, yes. Wow. It's, it's, Jewish camp is different. Yeah. It's different. Um, and I played soccer in the Jewish Olympics. They exist. They're called the Maccabi Games. Yes. Um, and so all of this is just affirming my Jewish foundation. Um, even more so, my dad, uh, the greatest man growing up, I, I idolized him. He was a pillar in our Jewish community. He was the president of our synagogue. He was the president of different Jewish organizations. And I wanted to be him. Everything I did was to be him. Um, 
And, and so he started his own accounting firm. Um, I wanted to do accounting. My dad does accounting. Um, so I went to college uh, doing that because I wanted to be like him. So as I got to college, my, that really solidified my Jewish foundation of who I was. Wow. So you graduated from college. You, 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 um, you're a practicing Jew. You go off to, pardon me, you haven't graduated yet. You go off to the University of Rhode Island. Go Rams, or as I like to say, go Rhodey, right? Go Rhodey. Oh, we, wow. We got one other person here? from Rhode Island. <laughs> I'm so sorry. And, uh, uh, it's a great place. Wow, yeah. Um, you graduate, and you then get your dream job at Price Waterhouse Coopers in Boston as an accountant. I'm sorry, tax consultant. Thank you. And then you. what happens? Yeah, so I have my dream job. I'm working in Boston. Um, I'm living what I think is gonna bring me true fulfillment. I'm, I wanna be successful, I wanna make money, I wanna get married, um, trying to be a good, a good Jewish man, a good mensch, um, mensch while I'm living there. And that just leaves me broken. Um, I'm left in serious debt, brokenhearted from relationships that aren't healthy, uh, just lost in not finding life in any of it. I even tried to... Um, go to different Jewish youth groups, or at that time it was just kind of fellowship groups. And even that, I was just still lost, not really knowing where life was. Um, all with this, with my Judaism and my Jewishness in my back pocket, because um, everything's fine. As I look back on it now, um, a good way to describe who I was, um, was Matthew 3, 8, and 9, where John the Baptist is kind of scolding the Pharisees saying, don't just say to each other, we're safe, we're descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. Um, for God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Um, and that was my identity. Um, and so I'm, that left me broken, lost. And I have that mindset as I'm um, going to New Orleans to watch the Patriots trounce the saints um, oh. as usual. Um, and uh, my sister was meeting me there um, with her church youth group. My sister has been a believer since she was a little girl, um, is meeting me there from Florida. Um, and gosh, Lee, the, the love that they showed me, uh, and they didn't even know me. The love they showed me was otherworldly. Mm-hmm. Um, and us Jews don't do Jesus. I asked, I asked them, why, do you, why are you treating me like this? You don't even know me. And they said, well, it's because of Jesus. And I'm, well, what does that have to do with anything? Um, we learned growing up that to just say Jesus is a prophet um, and that's it. You know, there's Jews, there's Gentiles and Jesus is their thing. And so that was in direct contradiction to my worldview, everything I learned growing up and especially my relationship with my dad who I idolized. Um, and so what, what do I do? I try to prove it wrong. Um, it just doesn't fit. I need to hold on to my, my values and how I grew up. So you went on a quest taking Judaism versus basically New Testament Christianity. Yes, and I think it's really uh, important to note the difference so modern rabbinic Judaism is not the Judaism that you see in, our old, in the Tanakh, our Old Testament, or, um, or even in Jesus's time. Uh, it, is, it was developed as a response, in response to, op- to oppose the teachings of Jesus, the resurrection, and the claims of his disciples. Um, and so that's really important to note. So I was weighing with equal, trying to weigh with equal criticism the teachings of Jesus, his resurrection, was it true? Was, can it be relied upon historically, theologically, versus with equal criticism on my own rabbinic interpretations of those same scriptures? Um, and as I did that 
over the four or five months, it became evidently clear that the rabbinic interpretation that I knew growing up just did not hold water. Mm-hmm. Um, but still after that, I just couldn't let go. I knew in my head that it was true, but in my heart, I just could not let go of my traditions, my family. Um, that was what was important. Um, and so I just kind of went along my way and was still lost. And I was, didn't happen until I was sitting on my bed in Boston, um, just praying to God, uh, I could believe this is true, God, but in my heart, I just can't. What the ramifications of this, I just can't believe it. It will fracture my relationship with my dad. All my Jewish friends growing up, they're gone. Um, I just, but I need you to show me what's true because I'm lost and I'm done. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said to me, he asked me a question. He said, Aaron, how much evidence is going to be enough for you? Um, and in that moment, I knew that I was actively opposing uh, what God was doing, and I was actively opposing God's spirit and leading wow. me to truth. That was your road to Damascus experience. Yeah. yeah. When Jesus confronts Paul, that was, that was God confronting you mm-hmm. right there. Yep. So was that the moment? Yes. Yeah. I, right then, I, even with weighing the ramifications and the cost of, of following Jesus, that I knew the ramifications of fracturing my relationship with my dad and, um, and my family and my culture, um, and for the most part, and I still decided to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Full steam wow. ahead. Wow. So, yeah, praise God. Amen. So, so um, you told your dad, I'm a follower of Jesus now. I no longer practice Judaism the way you raised me. Um, I assume your dad didn't say, great, Aaron. It doesn't matter because all roads lead to heaven. Did he uh, say that? Uh, surely not. No. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't insulted at all, right? Uh, nope. What'd he say? Um, yeah, so coming from my dad's standpoint, um, looking from his perspective, here I was, his only Jewish son that he's raised, his, his sole job has been to raise me in the, the Jewish way of life and the traditions under the rabbinical interpretations of the scriptures, and I am just ripping that from under him. Um, and so he's upset, and he says to me, I will, I will never forget this day um, in this conversation with him, uh, where he says, Aaron, I, I want to kick you out of our family. I want to disown you, but if it wasn't for your grandmother, your bubby, my, which is grandmother in Yiddish, um, for your bubby, I, she, if it wasn't for her, I would do it. But she, if she were alive today, she would not let this happen. And so thankfully he relented. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was evidently clear that I was going in the opposite of direction of what my Judaism taught it, uh, taught me growing up. Um, and he mourned for me as if he lost a Jewish son. Um, he, my prayer shawl, my talus that I got in my bar mitzvah, he slept with, with it under his pillow to mourn for me. Um, and it was evidently clear uh, that where I was going in, was in direct contradiction. Um, and the state of Israel um, would look at, Lee and I, and both say we are no longer Jewish um, because we don't believe in the rabbinical interpretations of the scriptures, um, even though we just Jews following Jesus at Yeshua, the Jewish Messiah. Um, But they want to take our vests away. That's for sure. That's right. (laughs) They're not going to take them away. Not taking not today, baby. Not today. Um, (laughs) And and so even at that moment when I told my dad, it was clear to him as well that I was no longer part of the Jewish family either. I know this is a little tricky because Aaron wanted to honor his family, um, which I love about Aaron. He's so honoring. And so he told his mom and dad ahead of time what he's doing right now. Can we pray for them? Yeah, I would love that. Okay. I want to pray for him right now. Can you give me the first names again? Scott and Angela. Yeah, Scott and Angela. Um, Father, um, we thank you for Aaron's journey. Thank you for my journey. And uh, 
Scott and Angela are on a journey as well. And uh, I would pray that you interrupt that journey and Mm -hmm. introduce to them as you did to Aaron and myself, Jesus. Jesus, not politics, Mm -hmm. not religion, um, not Christians who are hypocrites. That's me sometimes for sure. But Jesus, um, may they look full into his, his wonderful face and come to know him as, as Lord, Savior, and Messiah. And we ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Give Aaron a hand. Wow. Well, as you just heard, um, Aaron would now say that the religion he um, was raised with was wrong on some extremely important points and that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. But this doesn't mean, I want you to hear this, this is really important, that Christians believe all other religions are wrong on every point because Christianity springs out of Judaism and Jews and Christians share the same Old Testament scriptures. Aaron is able, I'm able to agree with many of the Jewish beliefs that he was raised with while also believing that Jesus is the only way to God. Third, third problem. Third problem with my unbelieving friend's worldview. It's the, it's, it's the most difficult problem. And that is the problem of Jesus. The problem of Jesus. Um, while it might be possible to square some religions with each other, particularly those who believe in multiple gods, or maybe Christianity and Judaism when it comes to the Old Testament, sort of. By and large, Christianity is is like a puzzle piece drawn from um, the wrong set. However hard we try to bend the edges, it just doesn't fit into my friend's worldview. And quite frankly, this problem stems from Jesus' direct statements and others in the New Testament who made statements about Jesus. Let me just read a few. Uh, This is Jesus speaking, John chapter three and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his, his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John chapter three and verse 36, Jesus said, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son, who does not believe the Son, shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on them. You're like, whoa, whoa, where's where's inclusive Jesus? Where's Birkenstock Jesus, right? John chapter 14 and verse 6, our theme verse for this morning, Jesus said to him, I am the way. You've heard me say this before. The is a definite article, which means the only. So we can interpret this this passage this way. Jesus said to him, I am the one and only way. I'm the one and only truth, and I'm the one and only life. No one, no one has access to the Father. No one gets to heaven unless they come through me. John chapter 17, verse 3, and Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they know you, um, the only true God, and that they basically know me, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent The apostles later on in the book of Acts gave us this verse, Acts chapter four and verse 12, and there is no salvation, right? There is no, pardon me, and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. One of my favorite examples um, of the distinctiveness of Jesus comes when Jesus is having a conversation with some of his disciples in the region known as Caesarea Philippi. Uh, in what is known as northern Israel. 
So do me a favor. Let's jump into that conversation. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 and, and verse 18. So here we get a, a view into Jesus' discussion with his disciples. We're not sure how many were there. Um, probably a bunch. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, it's a great question. Who do the crowds say, say that, I, that, that I am? Like at this point in his ministry, he's, he's doing amazing things. The crowds are starting to follow him. And he's like, okay, they're all caught up on the Jesus bandwagon, but who do they say that I, I really am? A little background here. Um, Caesarea Philippi sits, um, as I just said, north of the Sea of Galilee and lies on the southern slopes, you can see it behind me, of Mount Hermon. Um, been there twice, awesome. Straddles the border between Lebanon and Syria, sits right there. And, and since, this is fascinating, it's the headwaters. Mount Hermon is the headwaters of the Jordan River. Um, so throughout the centuries, people are funny, right? Um, you look in the Bible and it, it always talks about they would worship, not God, but other gods in the high places or they would worship other gods around water. Like we love mountains and we love water, right? We want to worship it. So the, um, throughout the centuries, the eight ancient pagans built idols at that spot to worship the gods of the waters. And scholars think that, that Jesus asked this question, who do the crowd say I am, as he stood on a high cliff by the town which housed idols to, to Roman and Greek gods uh, in its caves, and um, it was carved out indentations in the mountains. So you can get the picture. Jesus is standing at a high place. I, I've been there where they think it might be. It's really amazing. And you look down and you see the waters begin to flow right into the Jordan, the beginning of the Jordan River. And there he's standing next to the mountain and carved into this mountain are, are the, the Roman and Greek, they're still there to this day, Roman and Greek gods. And in that place, Jesus asked his disciples, in light of these gods, who do the people say that I am? And they answer, verse 19. Well, man, Jesus, whew. I mean, quite frankly, they're impressed with you. You've been doing some unbelievable stuff. And so some think that you're, right, you know, you're John the Baptist. Remember, King Herod thought that. Like John the Baptist come back from the dead. Um, others say Elisha. That famous prophet that God took in a chariot and he never saw death on this earth and took him 850 years ago. They're like, man, you must be Elisha. And others, well, again, you're so amazing. They think that you're, you're like a prophet that's come back from the dead, like Moses or you name a prophet. Like, you, wow. The most important question in the heart of our passage is found in verse 20. Then he said to them, okay, I get it. This is what all the other people say. Let's get personal. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, always Peter, right? Gotta love Peter. Everyone's got a Peter as a friend. I think that may have been me and that's not good, right? He's like the Christ of God. And with that question, Jesus confronts his disciples with the most important, critical issue they'll ever face, and for that matter, that, that any of us will ever face. That is the, the identity 
the question of the identity of Jesus Christ. And guess what? The stakes are unbelievably high. Why? Because getting it right is critical to one's eternal destiny. I mean, only one answer is correct. And the answer is not, well, you know, the Jesus we want him to be. All around us today, we see all these titles about Jesus. Like, like Aaron had a title about, that's the Gentile's prophet. Here are some of those titles. I want you to see them. Maybe you've heard these. He's like a, a prophet, one of many. Not the prophet, but one of many. He's a good man, a good teacher, a charismatic leader, a revolutionary leader. As Kevin said last week, um, our post-modern world views spiritual truth in, in terms of each person's experience of it. In other words, it's not verifiable. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? You can't verify. Why? Because if it's true for you, then it must be true. If your spiritual experience is different um, than mine, that's okay because one isn't right and the other wrong. Even if they contradict each other, then that's crazy talk, right? They can both be true. Why? Because spiritual truth is determined by personal experience, not by objective, ver verifiable means. But notice, Jesus didn't say, great answer, Peter. Do any of the rest of you have, a, have your own, own answer? Judas, what do you think? Oh, that's interesting, different than Peter. Oh, John, you got a different take? Right on. Jesus is not whatever we want him to be. Do me a favor, please write this down. I want you to see this. How we feel about Jesus doesn't change who he really is. Let me give you a very poor example, but maybe it'll help. Some of you out there, uh, by the way, I know this isn't true, so I can say it, but some of you out there might be thinking, oh, wow, Lee's up there teaching. I love Lee. Um, when I see Lee teaching, I think of him as a six-foot-five Greek Adonis with a chiseled body. <laughs> and then reality hits. I'm five-foot-ten on a good day, Jewish man with a pear-shaped dad bod. That's, that's what I am. But yeah, no, no, no. When I see you, I think up. Doesn't matter. This is what I am. How we feel about Jesus doesn't change who he really is. Whether we like it or not, no matter how we feel, there's actually a single correct answer to the question that isn't based on feelings or personal opinions, but an objective revealed truth. Um, but what about you, he asked. Who, who do you say that I am? Just like the disciples, our, our tendency or those who don't know Jesus will be to deflect. Well, you know, the, my dad says that he's a prophet, but not the prophet. So-and-so culture. I saw a movie, Jesus Christ Superstar, back in the 70s. It was awesome. I, we can read every book written about Jesus. And we can memorize everything he said. We can acknowledge that he's the most esteemed man to ever walk the earth. And we can appear to be um, a very... Um, competent and spiritual person. However, the only question that will matter is this, who do you say that Jesus is? The most important question is our view of Christ. Is he a wise teacher, a worthy example, a spiritual leader, or is he the son of God, the savior of the world who gave his life as a payment, as we just sang, as a payment for our sin? Did he really lay in that grave and then rise up out of it, cross eternity to save us?
Peter was the first to raise his hand and he gets this one right. There's a lot of things that Peter doesn't get right, but he nails this one. Peter answered the Christ of God, verse 20. Other translations, God's Messiah. It was the right answer. The word Christ means Messiah or promised one. Peter was testifying that Jesus is the one to whom the Old Testament was pointing. Jesus is the very one for whom Israel has had been waiting. You see, the, the very life and words of Jesus demand the decision. When it comes to his life, and even more importantly, when it comes to his death and resurrection, Jesus demands a decision. I'm fascinated Um, by what that great theologian Bono had to say when asked if Jesus was just a great thinker or just a, a good teacher or just a prophet. And this is what he said, and I quote, he said, actually, Jesus Christ doesn't allow you that. Just a good man, good teacher, good prophet. He doesn't let you off the hook. Christ says, no, I'm not saying I'm a teacher. Don't call me teacher. I'm not saying I'm a prophet. I'm, I'm saying I'm the Messiah. I'm saying I'm God incarnate in the flesh. So what you're left with is either Christ was who he said he was, the Messiah, or a complete nutcase. Hey, there's, there's no in-between. There's no in-between. I'm not joking here. The idea that the entire course of civilization for over half the globe um, could have its fate changed and turned upside down by a nutcase, for me, that's far-fetched. Jesus throws everything off balance. If he did what he said, then there's nothing for you to do but throw away everything and follow him. And I know it's, yeah, give an amen to Bono. That's awesome. I mean, that was good. That was good. And I know it's, at times, people will say something like this, because I've heard it from friends and family my, my whole life since I became a follower of Jesus. They'll say this, I know that Jesus said he was God and Savior and the only way, but I choose to edit that out and only believe in the Jesus of my making. You know, feed the poor Jesus. I like that Jesus. Good teacher Jesus. Mm, yeah. Revolutionary Jesus. Fighting the man, fighting the Romans. People can do that, but it's not biblical. It's not historical. Right? You know what that is? That's buffet Jesus. We've talked about buffet Jesus before. I'll take a little bit of this. I don't want that. The mac and cheese looks good. The cream spinach looks bad. I like, come unto me, all you little children, Jesus, feed the poor, Jesus, but I'm the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus, not so much. The problem is, time and time again, the Gospels record Jesus doing outrageous things that only God can do. He heals just about everyone he comes in contact with. He commands the wind. He forgives sins. He feeds the multitudes. He raises the dead. He raises himself from the dead. His universal claim is finally brought home in his parting words to his disciples. Sometimes we miss this. We think of it as the go ye verse, but don't miss the first verse, right? Matthew 28 and verse 18, Jesus said, now get this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to deserve all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus claims rule over all of heaven and earth, and he presents himself not as one possible path to God, but as God himself. Hey, I want you to hear this. 
I'm not going to talk you into anything. I'm not going to debate you into the kingdom of God. It doesn't work that way. We may choose to disbelieve him. He allows you to do that. But he cannot be one truth among many. He's not left us that option. Okay. According to British law, Mr. Remember him? Ilasame, Olawale Ilasame. Um, he should not have been arrested. And he was released the next day. Um, but in many other countries today, you know what? People are being arrested and even executed for saying that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. They're risking their life so that others have a chance to believe in Jesus and find eternal life in him. Just want to be really honest here. I'm not proud of this. But even having walked with Jesus now for 40 years, good grief, wow. Um, I sometimes find it hard to talk about my faith in Jesus. Maybe you do too. I, th I think it's because I believe people will be offended or say that I'm arrogant or ignorant or that I'm not cool. I'm that, I'm that guy, I don't want to be that guy. Um, or maybe they don't want to be friends with me anymore. But if we really love our friends, if we really love our family, if we really love our neighbors, we need to tell them the truth that Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, is the one and only way, the one and only truth, and the one and only life. But you say, Lee, how do, how do we do this? Um, I want you to see this. I think this is really important. We should respect them, love them, nurture them, care for them, and then try to persuade them. That's the language all throughout the scriptures. And it's much firmer and more dramatic than that. Try to persuade them. So if you're a follower of Jesus, what, what does this mean? Should we stand in the streets like Mr. Alasami and tell people that Jesus is, is the only way? Should we walk around like, should you walk around school and tell everyone they need Jesus? I, was, I wasn't laughing. I was stunned. Yesterday, Ruth and I were coming back from Bentonville, um, and we were, we were driving back, and we passed this pickup truck. And on the back tailgate of the pickup was a, ma I mean, massive flag mounted. And it had a picture of, like, Jesus himself, then the words Jesus says. Has anyone said, seen that before? Literally, I'm the only one who has seen this. Wow. <laughs> and then he had his company logo on the door. I'm like, dude, he's like, I don't care. Like what he does for a living. Should, should we do that? So what guidance does the Bible give us? Well, Christians need to share their faith. Sometimes this means standing in the street like Mr. Ilasami, but, but often I would say this. People will be more willing to listen to us about Jesus if they know us and they trust us. The Bible also gives us guidance about how we should talk to people who aren't yet followers of Jesus. Peter, um, as we, we just looked at, was one of Jesus' most enthusiastic disciples. He said that Christians should always be ready to give a reason for their faith in Jesus, but they should do this with what? Gentleness and respect. It's a cop-out just to scream at people, turn or burn. That's not the way of Scripture. 
Turner burn, you're going to hell. Could God use it? I, yeah, I guess. But that's not what the Bible says. So, if we're followers of Jesus, we must not give people the idea that we're saying that we're better than they are. Paul said Jesus came to save sinners, of which Paul said, I'm the chief of, I'm the worst one. Being a Christian means that at one point in our life, we have said, I'm a helpless sinner. I, I need you, Jesus, to save me. Not thinking that we're better than anyone else. But if we really believe that Jesus is the only way for abundant life now and eternal life forever, it's not arrogant to tell people the truth and point them to him. It's deeply unloving not to. Here's a way to start. Write this down. It's a biblical concept. Um, this is what I pray for on a regular basis in my own life. God, how do I plant the seeds of the gospel? So the analogy that Paul uses by inspiration of the Holy Spirit is some plant seeds, some get to water, others get to harvest. Um, you say, well, what are some seeds that I can plant, Lee? Uh, here's one. Um, pray for somebody. Pray for somebody. In the flow of life, it could be your waiter or waitress. Um, that's, that's a start. It could be you're standing next to a parent on the soccer field and they're hurting and you ask them what's going on. They start to tell you, can I pray for you? That's a seed. It could be you have a relationship with somebody that's good enough where you go, hey, I'd love to give you a Bible. That's a seed. Hebrews chapter four and verse 12 says this, for the word of God is alive and active. Here's another thing you do. Share your testimony. I call it that John 9 blind man moment, right? Remember the blind man? And the Pharisees are like, what's going on? Denounce Jesus. He's like, hey, all I know is this. I was blind, now I see. That guy's amazing. Give him your testimony. I was blind, this is who I was, now I can see. And God, I'm telling you, God will use the craziest things. Don't overthink this. I, I always laugh, when I, sometimes when I tell my testimony, part of my testimony, part of my salvation is due to a chain-smoking um, Baptist woman from Mississippi. You say, huh? One Friday, I was totally lost, uh, didn't know Jesus, and I, I went to go pick up a buddy of mine I played football with in high school. I'm 16 years old, not a believer. I don't, I don't know anything about spiritual things. And I pull up to his house, and uh, I get there. His mom opens the door. Whew, smells like smoke. She goes back to the kitchen, sitting there just smoking Pall Malls, just lighting them up. I'm like, what the heck? Whoa. And uh, she says, Tommy's, Tommy's in the back. First time I heard a southern accent other than hee-haw. I'm like, what the heck? Tommy's in the back. Just wait a few minutes here. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. So I'm standing there, don't know what to do, smelling the smoke, and I look on the fridge. You've heard me say this, but and there's a postcard. It's the rapture postcard. And Jesus is like above everyone, disembodied bodies are going up. I'm like, what the? And Holy Spirit takes the rapture postcard. I didn't know it at the time. And I go, what? This feels, doesn't feel right. So I turn around and she's looking at me with a big grin on her face. And she knows I'm caught. And I say, what? What is this? And she, on her face, she said, boy, <laughs> boy. Don't you know about the rapture? Jesus is coming back. You better get right or you're going to get left. <laughs> you need Jesus to save your soul. I'm like, huh? 
And I kind of giggled and, oh, thank you. Miss, her name was Rose. His name was Tommy Rose. Mrs. Rose, thank you so much. And I, I, I remember going home that night thinking, what just happened? Two months later, uh, another buddy on the football team invited me to this thing called a youth group, and that began my, and I remembered what she had said, that seed that she had planted. You said, that's not a very good seed. God uses seeds. <laughs> Chain-smoking Mississippi Baptist women, right? Uses, uses seeds. Okay, by the way, um, I'm going to wrap this up. This is the perfect segue, as Kevin said, to our equip class. I want you to see behind me, which is coming up. I've taken this class twice. It is unbelievable. And hey, let's face it, two rock star teachers, Kevin and Nathan, wow. It is so, so good. I highly recommend it. Maybe you're like, I took it a few years ago. I need a refresher. I would do it. I, I would do it. It's going to teach you how to plant seeds, how to develop faith conversations. It's not manipulative. Uh, it's not turn or burn. It is just pure Bible. It's really, really good. Also, um, just to remind you, we have resources. You can see them behind me for all of our, our messages. And because of the generous gift from someone in our church, we can sell them for only $5 a piece. Such a deal. If you don't have that, then they're free. One little problem for this week. Um, they ship them late, so they're not here this morning. I'm sorry about that. Got you all excited. Um, you can buy it yourself, um, a lot more money, or if, it, if you were like me, you would wait for next week and they will be here. But if you're like, I have to have it, then I would encourage you to get on Amazon and buy it right now. Okay, the worship team is coming up. I want the prayer teams to come up right now. Come on up. You'll see people off to my left and to my right who are on the prayer team. They're making their way up. And we call this our ministry time. This is... Um, Time for the body to come together uh, and pray for one another. Encourage one another. Maybe you're like, I see that baptismal. Um, I want to be baptized. Come talk to somebody. Come talk to myself or someone on staff. We can make it happen at the end of the service. We can make it happen for next service. You're like, I know and love Jesus. I just, I need to be obedient. Jesus said, get baptized. Tell the world you're a follower of me. It's an awesome thing. It's an awesome thing. Maybe you're here this morning and um, you're, you're watching online and you're like I was 40 years ago. You're like, what just happened? I've never heard these things. Or maybe for the first time, you're like, now I'm hearing it. That's Holy Spirit opening up your heart and mind to the gospel. This is your who do you say that I am moment. Um, no one's going to force Jesus on you. It didn't work that way. I would encourage you to come up, talk to someone on the prayer team, find someone on staff, talk to myself. Um, let's have a conversation. Let's talk about that. I'll do whatever it takes. I will do whatever it takes. You want to get coffee, you want to get lunch, you want to hang out. Um, I'll do whatever it takes. My identity is not in being a pastor. My identity is being a child of God. And I want you to be a child of God. There's no greater identity. There's no greater life. As we talked about in the first week of our series, this abundant life, it really is abundant. Right when I get done, I mean, you can start now. It won't bother me. I would encourage you, go to the communion tables. Come back and take communion in community. I would encourage you, come up and be prayed for. Get this thing going. While they're singing, get moving. This is the heart of the, of the ministry right here. 
It's you doing business with God. It's you responding to worship and teach and community and communion. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for Jesus. It was just a Jesus fest this morning singing about, not that we don't often, but just singing about him, worshiping him, his death, his resurrection, his power, his love, his care. Father, I pray that this morning would be the day of salvation for those watching, for those here, God. Father, I pray that this morning would be the impetus for for many believers in this room and online to say, oh my word, I gotta plant seeds. Time is unbelievably short, but eternity is forever. I will not let the world and my flesh and the devil keep me from telling others about Jesus. I'll trust that your word is powerful. I'll trust that you'll take seeds and grow the seeds of the gospel in the lives of others. Help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.